This is an ABC podcast. It's not a shit jacket, okay? I don't care what you're thinking. It's not a shit jacket. It's a shacket and it's a shirt and a jacket combined and I'm all for it. on. Hello, Miff. Hello, Zan. How you going? I'm pretty good. How are you? Awesome. I've had a couple of days in the country, uh, replenishing all of that good business, getting some good oxygen into my lungs. It was lovely. There's been a lot of emails into the bang box about where you can find goats. They continue to flow in. I know. Uh, people, actually, I got away to the country over the weekend because you just got to grab those moments when you can. And I was hanging out. Um, I ended up in an animal sanctuary. Long story. Um, not really a long story, just a happy coincidence. Anyway, I was surrounded by lovely animals, including a gorgeous little Shetland pony, and several people commented after mm. they saw that saying, are you going to buy one for Miff? Yes, please. So people are well and truly behind your move to the country. I know. That is for sure. <laughs> I love it. I've been getting sent links to um, like goat, uh, goat rehoming services, that kind of thing. I'm into that. Uh, look, bring it all on, I say. The paddock is ready <laughs> for my little goat and I am ready. My heart is open. So, yes, very exciting. And I would love to get a little miniature pony, but I don't think I'm going to have enough room. So I might just have to come and, you know, access everyone else's miniature ponies. But if you see me at the show in a couple of years' time doing pony rides for kids, I'm not against that. I This is my pivot. Huge. Speaking of things that have been filling the inbox as well, one of the other big topics of discussion, which I was uh, very happy to read through the many emails, was, of course, the follow-up from Gritty Clitty, uh, which <laughs> you gave us last week. Oh, no, thank you, is definitely the response that most people are saying. Now, Gritty Clitty, this is what I've learned from the bang box. Gritty Clitty, I think, is definitely a Redcliffe's thing. Not many people had heard it. Mm. I did get one email from someone who said that they had a similar thing, but they called it, and I'm not going to say the actual word, Crunchy, see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. But this particularly as well from Deborah, who was emailing in. She's Bang Fam in San Diego. Big love to you, Deborah. We love hearing about people who are expats um, connecting from all over the world. Anyway, Deborah hails from the Redlands, which is about an hour south of Redcliffe. Which I is not my Redcliffe, heard... though, let me say. That's Red... Different Redcliffe, yeah. Redcliffe without an S on the end, and that's in Queensland. Redcliffe's has an S. We are met a couple of cliffs, um, and that's in Victoria. <laughs> I say it's the same. The BGs came from Redcliffe or up that way and I, I came from Redcliffe. <laughs> Definitely regionally uh, associated story though, but Deborah had never heard of Gritty Clitty, but she did have what she called sand burgers. Yes! Now here's what sand burgers I are. I remember this sand is when burgers. You- this is when you sat down on the edge of the water to take your hair flip photo. Mm-hmm. Better do it right because that disposable camera only has five shots left. And when you stood up, there was a big deposit of sand in your bikini bottom that weighed the spandex down in a very attractive <laughs> bulge. I thought you definitely needed to hear that and you were right, Deborah. Thank you so much for that email. Oh, that's so funny. It's so good. We had sand burgers. We used to call them that too. And it was like a nappy, like you'd pooed your pants. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, what a wonderful uh, way to open the podcast today. Hey, some also some good news for people who were keen on where the hell they could watch Hacks, which we banged on about a few weeks ago. This is the comedy series about this kind of dark mentorship 
between a comedian in Las Vegas, Deborah Vance, who's played by the incredible mm. Jean Smart, and also a, a sort of entitled um, Gen Z 25-year-old. Anyway, it's everyone's talking about it. Finally, Stan has it. So it's coming to Stan this weekend. If you're listening to Bang On on Thursday, it's going to drop tomorrow, the 6th of August, and we couldn't recommend it highly enough. It's or I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Have you seen it yet, Mitch? No, not yet. Not yet. I'll be I'll be the one lining up on right. the weekend. Dig in. Plans made. Love it. <laughs> lining up in front of your own television because yep. that's how we do 2021. Pretty much. No point. There's just no point going anywhere really at the moment, is there? <laughs> yes. Let a little bit of escapism for you this week. I love um, it. I tell you what, you couldn't escape though. There's been a big discussion about um mental health and, and particularly around Simone Biles, who, you know, many people would know was one of the biggest stars in the American um, gymnastics Olympic team. Last week we were talking a lot about the Olympics. We did an early bang last week on, on Tuesday, so we mm. recorded it before all of this stuff went down. But that was the same day when Bang On went out on Tuesday that Simone stepped back from five events to take care of her mental health. Now, she did return to compete in the balance beam final. She took away the bronze, which is remarkable given the week that she'd had and what she's been going through for years now. But the discussions around her choices felt quite different, don't you reckon? Even even in the most recent past, that kind of needle of understanding is really shifting in light of Naomi Osaka's recent withdrawal from the French Open and, and her explanation of how detrimental anxiety and depression had been to her and, and to her game. Mm. I feel like, at least in the pieces that I was reading, the understanding of what Simone Biles had had been through and the decisions she was making for her own mental health, people tread a little bit more lightly and also were a lot more understanding than they have been in the past. Some people do. Some people do. You've got your usual commentators. As like I said, some of the things that yeah, I've read, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and look, uh, I never reply to especially celebrities who are being idiots on Twitter, but this week I was, or last week I was inspired to, and I wish I hadn't because I, I just, that's one of my personal rules. I just don't. I, I can't, it's no point engaging with these people if they're just. Twitter is not a place for discussion and conversation. No, no. And look, I never do that. And I did it and I felt sick after I did it because I then you're just fueling them. But I was so infuriated by Piers Morgan's approach. He was very critical of her. And, you know, it's the same, it's the same perspective that you get in Australia with your Andrew Bolts and the like. And. It feeds a certain portion of the population who still somehow believe that these sports people are our playthings, that they're there for us and they're there for our enjoyment and that's it. But what they forget the whole time is that quite often, especially with something like gymnastics, they're putting their bodies on the line and their bodies are their careers. Mm. And if your mental health is affected at a particular time and you, you're not thinking straight, if you do one wrong move, one misstep, it's your body on the line and that possibly could be your life, especially in gymnastics. Like it's it's nuts that people think it's like you should just perform like a performing seal because this is your job. I get that it is their job but it's also their job to look after their lives and no one goes to work thinking they're going to die that day but, you know, you genuinely could if you're in a sport like gymnastics. And Piers Morgan wrote this tweet and he was all upset because, you know, he had a go at Simone Biles saying she just, you know, toughen up, princess, all that stuff. Um, he wrote, Twitter, when I walked off GMB because I was a bit stressed out, Twitter says, you're 
you're a pathetic, gutless, cowardly, weak, shameful failure, man up. Tweet it when their favourite athletes quit because they're a bit stressed out. You're a brave, inspiring, iconic hero. And I'm just... Oh, no. I know, and I'd hate to talk about it to give it air, but I was so angry at that because there's just a portion of the population who are watching the Olympics and think that, I don't know, that, that that life, their life is not important. Their mental health is mm. not important. <laughs> I wrote I wrote back and I just wish I hadn't. I said, difference is she's acknowledging and attempting to deal with her very real and traumatic issues. Your approach to this suggests you haven't done much work on yours at all. She's also risking her body and perhaps her life at work. You, my friend, work in TV. Enough said. And I'm like, oh, just why did I do that? Like he's never going to read that. He's not going to change his mind. But I just felt, I really felt compelled to. And I'm so angry about the fact that that people think that these these human beings are there for, they are, for it is entertaining, but it's also their job. Um, and there's been so much lack of respect for people, the work that people do, I think, of late, you know, it, when it comes down to even frontline workers in the pandemic, all of that. These commentators simplify things so much that it, it just has absolutely no nuance and it, and it infuriates me, absolutely infuriates me. But I'm not going to get angry anymore about it, I, I, you know. In the bin, Piers Morgan, <laughs> in the bin. <laughs> well, I'm, I think that most Bang fan would probably see the difference between Piers Morgan and, and Simone Biles, but in case you missed it, you know, their positions and where they've come from are very different. There's, the pressures on them, I would argue, are sizably different. And, you know, the, I think the thing that I sort of really realised and a couple of people also pointed out in the last week is that in these discussions around mental health and people's decisions to withdraw, there have been three major examples of this in the last couple of months and they've all been women of colour. They've been Mm -hmm. Simone Biles, Liz Cambage and Naomi Osaka. Now, Liz Cambage withdrew from the Opals and was vocal about her concerns for her own mental health. She said she didn't want to be in the Olympic bubble and not have her family and her support network around her. She was in a precarious position. She's been spoken about her mental health issues in the past and been very vocal about that, and she just said, I'm not going to do it. And Osaka is, you know, was number one in the world. Cambage is the greatest female basketballer in the world. Biles is the head star of the American team and one of the greatest gymnasts in history. These are all women who are all women of colour. They're all elite athletes at the top of their field, but they also carry a different weight of expectation and responsibility on their shoulders for who they are and for the communities they represent. And that's just a fact. So this this Piers Morgan comparing himself to Simone Biles, I'm sorry, (laughs) Piers Morgan, it's not going to, I'm not going to cop that, you know, it just... It's mind-blowing. Um, and, again, I, I look at the the strength of these women to stand up and say, you know what, I can't do this, I'm not going to do it, it's not good for me. Yeah. I'm still going to compete in the way that I want to compete and I'm still the friggin' best in the world but I'm not going to cop this right now because I, I, I don't need to and I don't want to. Yeah. And power to them, power to them for having the strength and the conviction to be able to do that in a world where there's all this chatter, all this bullshit, and all these Piers Morgans who are telling them that they're not much chop for doing and so. They do, I and mean, I think the they extraordinary do strength just, of speaking out. Just for clickbait too. Like it's pure clickbait. It's like I'll get the oh, ang- absolutely, which is why why did you respond to him, Miss? Exactly. You the bait. Exactly. I know, that's why I was so angry at myself. <laughs> I was just so angry at myself for doing it, you know, and sometimes it just gets too much. 
<laughs> and that, Can my I friend, just say, was too much. It's too, I, I know. I know those moments, particularly when you're feeling a little bit vulnerable yourself. You're just like, what the fuck? Um, if you are actually, if you're feeling, if this is kind of resonating with you in terms of just managing your own mental health, and, and this is kind of a sports sidebar, but also not at all because I'm certainly not an Olympic athlete. But over the weekend, I listened to an excellent podcast on ABC's Conversations and Sarah was talking to Ben Crow, who's Ash Barty's mindset coach. Now, he's worked oh, with him. Ash for the yeah. last few years. He's amazing. Mm. He's He worked with the Richmond Tigers as well and pretty much, you know, around the time that they turned their fortunes around and I think you could definitely say that he was a big he's part a of that. He's a bit like our Ted really, He's totally our Ted. Oh, he's a beautiful man. Yeah. Like it, the, te- the techniques he talked about in this conversation, because I've not heard him speak before, he sort of – he. He uses these techniques to bring people people's focus back to the human self, so the human being instead of the human doing, and also focuses a lot on how embracing your vulnerability, which includes speaking about when you're feeling not so great, you know, um, that actually gives you strength. Confronting that gives you strength. So I just I listened to that. I and every one of us, I think, has been feeling some form of anxiety um, over the last, you know, 16 months. And it's such a great episode. If you need some help grabbing onto the things that you can control, your mindset you can control, and then shutting out the things that you can't, you know, external distractions of all kinds, including this goddamn pandemic. Mm. So highly recommend. I'll put it in the show notes, but it was a fantastic, fantastic episode of Conversations. Great. With ben Thank Crow. you. Loved it. Thank you. Now, Miff, you sent me a great piece in the New York Times called The Future of Fashion, and uh, you know that I'm a um, a forecaster. Yes. I love to spot a trend, so I really <laughs> love this piece. You know I thought that you were about to say forward. you're going to take over the weather at the ABC. I was like, what the? <laughs> oh, my God, what a dream. Oh, I know. Seriously, the Bomb app is one of my favourite apps in the world. I love the weather. Anyway, no, we are talking fashion. fashion. Uh, and, um, yeah, this piece is kind of about that, you know, how you predict the future when you literally can't predict what's happening this week. <laughs> I know. And, look, fashion has had a difficult time of it of late because really old ways have been cast aside. Hello uh, to every other system in the world also experiencing this. Um, mm. And essentially they're not coping that well because the world of fashion ra- runs on predicting the future and, and they had pretty set in stone ways of doing that in that they, like, major stores would purchase a year in advance to know exactly what people would want. Say, you know, this is in January, but they know exactly what people will be buying in November. And this comes down to Mm. trend forecasters. But like any other industry where there is money involved, quite often what will happen is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, Large retail outlets will go to trend forecasters to tell them what's good. So they would fly them to Paris to all the parades and send them off to very select stores and very select designers and very select kind of best of Paris lists that they would tick off. And therefore, in a way, the trend forecasters would create the fashion if you could see it as such. And and this article Mm. is about that. Um, It's a little bit like, you know, sending off kind of like sending the gold, uh, the Golden Globes judges off to Paris when there's a television show called Emily in Paris and, um, you know, it's a little bit like that. You're never going to let them live that down, never, are you? I love never, it. never, never. <laughs> um, it's a little bit like that and, you know, uh, maybe it's time for a, gr- a big 
uh, upheaval within that particular industry because the old ways aren't as relevant anymore. Like you said, you can't predict the future necessarily. Problem is they're looking on TikTok, TikTok now for inspiration and quite frankly, spending a bit of time on TikTok. All I see is those leggings with the bit up the bum that make it look like they're kind of ruched a little bit like, and, yeah. and, and, that, and they're a bit too thin for everyday wear. They're the only one. That's all I'm seeing that, that reveal a lot more than they should. So quite frankly, I'm not really into TikTok determining what's going to be the part and for next year. But um, they're also looking at very different things too in terms of trying to predict what's happening in the future. They're looking more at our online purchases, uh, restaurant, hotel bookings, wedding bookings, that kind of thing. So they're making a new puzzle to put together so they can understand what comes in the future. So in that sense, it's it's kind of an interesting article. Um and they're also suggesting that we're moving away from active wear and loose fitting and comfortable things. We're going to be looking. No, we're not. Yeah, exactly. No, no, that's a thing. That's a lie. That's the other thing. The entire world has discovered uh, like function over form. We've all discovered. Elasticized waistbands. Totally. We've all discovered, you know, that it's really nice not to have to wear heels every day, especially for women. <laughs> and interestingly too, they talk about this article as if men don't exist, which is really weird. Like, um, Oh, true. I didn't even notice with, that. <laughs> yeah. How come they got away with not having to worry about the pandemic? You know, they, it's just assumed they'll go back to suits when the offices open up again. That's not true. I don't think, why should they have to wear suits and ties and, and all of that when they too have discovered comfort and, you know, down dressing and all of that. So I think it was an interesting article and in it, in it pointed out a lot of things about how the industry is changing, whether or not, like the, the final quote in it, customers are telling their retailer that they love the comfort they're feeling in their joggers, yet they don't want to wear their joggers into the office, she said. Uh, this is someone that's quoted in the article. So how does that translate to soft? to the soft pants of the future like well just wear soft pants what are soft yeah, pants just wear soft pants <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot i love that is this like they're rebranding re of trackies yeah. soft yeah, pants yeah. just find a pair of soft pants that look like that look like you you're actually dressed up for the day we've already worked it out it's been around for years they're called leggings <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I love, it was a good article, I love this but piece. yeah, it took us. It took us. It took took me on many mind journeys, of which I need at the moment because I can't go anywhere else. <laughs> well, yeah, from an outsider's perspective, I don't work in fashion. I have a friend who used to run a label, though, and it always blew my mind when she was telling me about how she was basically, you know, getting sorted her her spring release you know, nine months ahead. And I was just like, oh, my God, that just stresses me out. But the flip side of people taking cues from TikTok and there's a very instantaneous nature of TikTok trends is that, you know, the the very bare bones of producing fashion, even fast, fa fast fashion, is that you've got to sort it out, send it off to the manufacturers, usually in a developing country. The, like a tight turnaround is eight weeks. So even people wanting it in the next day or the next hour, like it's not going to happen. Keeping up with that is insane. That data also of mining, you know, people's bookings and seeing people talking about getting excited about going to proms or showing their browsing history and like people putting hearts against certain dresses and then retailers going, oh, okay, they've got confidence. They think they're going to be going to this. That's good for us. All of that is just fascinating. Mm. And, you know, we're just data machines and that's really interesting. Like you say, it definitely shakes up the way that we think about fashion and trends. 
uh, and reacting instead of leading in some ways. I found it really, really interesting as a pure outsider. Yeah, and because uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fashion doyen, even though you may think that by looking at you me. are, you are a gorgeous fashion doyen, <laughs> as am I. No, we look, we are complete outsiders, and it'd be really interesting to get the perspective of somebody. If you know, feel free to send us an email if you think we're. I, you know, we're on the wrong tip here or it, uh, perhaps jumping to conclusions too quickly, which can be done when you don't have a nuanced understanding of what an industry is and how it works. Um, and I, look, I'll plainly put my hand up there, but I think it is more consumer-driven in a good way these days because people do want clothes that are going to last a bit longer because we're not going out. Mm. There's no point buying one outfit and 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 dropping a 1000 bucks on, you know, something – extremely special I, I I couldn't justify that to myself um not that I ever did but, but it's it's totally changed we want more sustainable clothing we want clothes that last a bit more at least I do I'm not talking for everybody and I think people are far more aware of fast fashion and the implications it has not only on the people who make it but the environment so mm. you know I think a lot of these changes are necessary and I look forward to seeing what comes next. Ruched leggings, I've heard. Don't. <laughs> Although anything that could make my ass look like it's lifted a little bit wouldn't go astray. I don't know if I don't know if putting a tea bag up the thing and sort of ruching it. I don't. I, I mean, that's what I said ages Sorry, the ago. The tea bag leggings. Like. Yeah. I forgot. I don't know if that's going to help me at all because um, a tea bag through a pancake, a large pancake or a pan, is not going to. No, no, it's not working. Oh, God. Not working for me. Hey, before I ask you what you're banging on about, can I read you an amazing email from the bang box? Yeah. So bang fan Beck emailed. Uh, <laughs> we were also talking about Benefer mm. um, and those shots. And you, you went down a rabbit hole, Miff, it's fair to say, last week when you just really thought deeply about who was taking the photos of J-Lo and Ben Affleck on that yacht mm. and you felt for them. So this has clearly triggered something in Beck who writes, oh, my God, I had completely buried a memory until Miff's question this week of how the pics of Benefer were taken, dredged it up from the depths. Early 2000s. Strap yourselves I in. was about 14. <laughs> We'd just gotten the internet. Dad, recently widowed, had just discovered this new thing called online dating. He needed profile photos. I was the daughter for the job. One in the backyard to show he's outdoorsy. One in his leather armchair to show he's a chill guy. He was wearing budgie smugglers for both. (laughs) But wait... There's more. In order to be speedo ready, he got me to shave his back under the pergola. (laughs) I did it happily. Oh, my God. As cringe as it was slash is, it was a really vulnerable thing for my dad to share. And looking back now, apart from extreme cases, I don't think there's ever a downside to seeing your parents chasing, finding or being in love. It reveals them as human. And so when you grow up and experience chasing, finding and being in love for yourself, you have realistic expectations of the joys and pitfalls of it all. Dad did find love. Not online, though, at the RSL. Unfortunately, (laughs) I wasn't there to capture it. Love you guys. Thanks for all the giggles. Email of the year, Beck. Amazing. Oh, my God. That was a roller coaster. (laughs) I went from feeling absolute revulsion going, no, you can't. But then um, she's absolutely correct. 
It gives you such a good, so good. understanding of, you know, that the parents are vulnerable human beings. Oh, I love it. I'm crying. Just the best. <laughs> Who knew? J-Lo Thank and Thank you to everyone who emails us. us. In so many ways. <laughs> Who knew? Triggering all kinds of stuff. I love that. Thank you. Just incredible. Just beautiful. What are you banging on about this week? Uh, this way up. Now, I know that it was briefly touched on, I think, in our Bang Back the a couple of weeks ago, but I finally got around mm. to watching the rest of the series of because uh, Series 2 is also up now, and this is uh, Ashling B, who's a comedian, an Irish comedian, and, and Sharon Horgan, who you would know from Catastrophe and, and various other shows. I just adore her. I think she's, she's brilliant. And this is about two sisters living in London, um, and one of the sisters is high-flying business type and the other is, well, she struggles. She's got an unlabeled sort of malaise, I guess you'd call it, uh, and she, she's, she's been through a rehab facility at, after her darkest times and then this is about the time after. And, oh, it's a beautiful show. I thought maybe it might be a bit heavy to watch in COVID, it's it's in the spirit of Fleabag and a lot of those shows um, that, mm. that that deal with mental illness. And sometimes, you know, I'm good at watching that stuff, and I and 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 I'm amazed that these stories are being told. And I think it's wonderful. And other times, sometimes it can be a bit too dark, even for me. Um, and I went through moments of that with this show, but the beauty, it's just. So beautiful and it's the relationship between the two sisters, you know, even though the Sharon um, Sharon Horgan character looks like she's she's surviving and thriving, she's not either. You know, everybody has their has their troubles and, and this relationship between the two sisters is is almost hilariously codependent, but the codependency also is a mode of survival too. And mm. you know, you see you see someone really struggling. Uh, the loneliness, the emptiness of, of 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 feeling like you're you're not moving in the same in the same trajectory as the rest of the world, which is is quite often what you feel when you experience anxiety or, or depression. Um, it's mm. beautifully portrayed, sensitively portrayed. It's funny, funny, funny at times, awkward, all of those things. And I, I just think another another gorgeous bit of television from somebody who has put her heart out there, heart and her soul, and showed us her vulnerability. And I, I say, give it a watch. And there's a beautiful quote at the end, which I can't exactly remember, but right at the end she puts a quote up. Um, and it, I don't want to spoil it either, but, you know, it just it was just that little nod of acknowledgement that, that there is hope. And, yeah, I, I recommend it to anyone who wants to watch something at the moment, especially in lockdown. It might be a bit much for some, but for others I think it'll work. We need hope. Is it on Stan or Netflix? Mm, I think it's on Stan, I think. Don't quote me on that. I think it's on Stan. Yeah, I think it's on Stan. Um, so many people have been recommending this to me. I'm, I'm, I'm so in. I, I just got to find some time in all of my lounging and active wear to watch yes, it. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of lounging, I Norman now sleeps on the bed, is that right? Yes, oh. he's taken over another another oh, bed in the house. That, you realise how how wonderful that is. He's he's trusting you to sleep <laughs> with his pack. Oh, his cats don't have packs, it's but you so know, that's joyful. how I like to think of it. They just want warmth. Actually, <laughs> although 
not totally. Like he's just basically sleeping next to any heater that he can and he's found a primo posse around the corner of the bed right next to the heater. Mm-hmm. So much so that you say that he wants to sleep with the pack but he actually, we go downstairs and he just stays on the bed yeah. now. So he's just taken our bed is really what's happened. Yeah. But we, we couldn't be more stoked or proud. <laughs> I love it. Hey, um, what are you banging on about? I'm banging on about a great podcast that I listened to recently and it was so riveting that I pretty much finished this 10-part podcast in about three days. I just I went out on walks and just kept walking because I wanted to keep listening yeah. to it. It's called I'm Not a Monster and it's a co-production between BBC Panorama, uh, which is an investigative journalism sort of interview uh, unit, and also PBS Frontline, which is American and kind of does the same thing. And it's an investigation into an American ISIS wife, uh, a woman called Sam, who went from Indiana, a pretty, you know, middle America uh, life, and ended up in Raqqa in Syria and then came back again. And it's a really extraordinary story. The The guy that is the host and the journalist and filmmaker behind it, Josh Baker, he has incredible access. He's reported from war zones before, so he knows how to get into very tricky parts of the world. And the recordings he captures when he's there are, are pretty damn extraordinary. But it's also this... Throughout the whole thing, you know, as with most of these stories, it's an exploration of truth, you know, whether Sam, um, this former ISIS wife, is a reliable narrator, you know, why she did it, if she did it, what she did while she was over there, and how much she was operating under her own will or the will of her of her then-husband, this ISIS fighter called Musa. And there was a – I think we talked about this on Bang On, mm. the New York Times podcast, Caliphate, which had a similar kind of – story about a I think an American um ISIS fighter which was then revealed in the last year or so as being uh false yeah. and that that was a huge shock because New York Times is you know one of the bastions of truth and journalism um and that left a very bad taste in a lot of people's mouths and and I, and that was quite a shock for me and quite heartbreaking because I really loved that podcast and I love Rukmini who who produced it and hosted it but if you were the same as me don't let that experience dissuade you from listening to this because it's it's excellent it's riveting uh i think it's true <laughs> who knows um but it will also keep you you know keep you walking if you need to go out for a walk um which is also very good for your mental health while you're in lockdown it's a it's a very very good podcast so it's called i'm not a monster it came out kind of late last year continuing into early this year and um yeah one of those things that someone recommended to me a couple of months ago and i finally got around to and just yeah, couldn't put it down. Just brilliant stuff. Love it. Going to give it a listen. Thank you. Ah, oh, pleasure. Always good to bang on. Thank you to everyone who always bangs back and sends us emails. I'm, I'm, yeah. um, can be getting lots of emails. If you ever want to leave us a little review as well, it sounds totally dorky, but it really helps other people find us. So I know that a lot of people do email me and say, I still just don't know how to email to review you on my mm. podcast app. Um, you can scroll down whatever podcast app you're using and you can usually just press a rating and review if you're able to. We appreciate it so much. Yeah, totally dorky, but it helps other people find us. So thank you for everyone leaving reviews as well. Well, um, I'd best be off, go and have a walk and listen to a brand new podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Do it. I just want you to know that I'm wearing jeans today as well. I I was going to wear active wear, but I decided I was feeling, I put jeans on and makeup on because I wanted to approach today in an active way. that's good. (laughs) And I feel brighter for it. Sometimes it's little things that help. Well, we were going to, you know, I was going to see you in person, but because we're still in lockdown, I was going to wear for you my brand new um, jacket. And I remember I... Oh, my God. I 
I poked fun at the shacket a long time ago. What is it? Is it a shirt? Is it a jacket? No, it's a shacket. And I bought one. You've invested. In, when I was in the country, oh I, I love it. I love my shacket. It's really good. It's like one of those um, flannel. It's like an extra thick flannelette and any oh, any God. children in the 90s are going to love that. So uh, <laughs> it's not a shit jacket, okay? I don't care what you're thinking. It's not a shit jacket. It's a shacket. And it's a shirt and a jacket combined, and I'm all for it. I've turned. You are one step away from a cardigan that also looks like a bathrobe. That's all I'm yeah, saying. You're you know one it. step away. And I'm going up the country. <laughs> Babe, don't you want to go? Yeah, I'm going up the country. Babe, don't you want to go? Yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm embracing my country life, and I'm not even there yet. I'll see you see next week. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bang. Hang on.